You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Every week we discuss the mind-numbingly stupid things the Cleveland Browns are able to orchestrate. And if, perchance, they happen to do something intelligent, we're here to break it all down for you. So relax, grab a beer, tell everyone to shut the elf up, because we're about to get started. All right. Welcome to the What the Elf Was That podcast. My name is Joel Cade, Joel at the left guard. I'm also known as the dictator, and I'm the guy talking to you right now. Today on What the Elf Was That, we are going to talk about Kareem Hunt losing the step, OBJ signing in Baltimore, to the NFL draft. And we're going to ask, does the NFL draft mean anything to anybody anymore? And finally, we're going to discuss some organizational infighting out in Arizona in our Around the League segment. In short, we're going to talk about all the stuff that makes you think, what the elf was that? All right. Let's jump right into it. Today, it was not today, yesterday it was reported that the Browns would no longer be in the process of signing Kareem Hunt. Now, Kareem Hunt has had no market since he's gone out into the market. And the Browns, apparently, according to Terry Pluto of Cleveland.com, believe that Kareem Hunt has lost a step. That he is slipping in terms of speed. He had a career low of 3.8 yards per carry last week. Not last year. So that begs the question, one, did anybody not see this coming? Kareem Hunt is a strong, powerful, bowling ball, physical back. He has run into every single defender known to mankind. Kareem Hunt is that kind of runner that gets the ball and looks for somebody to hit. And those kinds of backs wear down. Kareem Hunt had is on his second contract. So if you guys remember this last year, last year, right, before the season, Kareem Hunt was out there lobbying for a contract from the Browns. Couldn't get any bites. Couldn't get made to look for him. Couldn't get anybody to even engage in conversation. And as he couldn't get any of that going on, he said, okay, I'm going to align myself with Nick Chubb. So then he came out and said, we need to think of the Browns backfield as Chunt. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt as one unit. And some fans went crazy. Yeah, we got to sign Kareem Hunt. Got to sign Kareem Hunt. Got to make this happen. Got to make this happen, right? Hunt comes out last year, looks like an old man. He looked like Willis McGahee out there, right? You guys remember back to Willis McGahee? The Browns didn't have a running back, so they signed a guy like a week before the season and threw him out there, and he looked like he was like 100 years old. That was Kareem Hunt last year. Sure, he could catch the ball out of the backfield. He could grab the ball, run down the field. He wasn't running very fast. He wasn't bowling anybody over. He was really the shell of a player that he was a year ago. <clears throat> so is it no surprise at this point that when he goes out onto the market, there's not much of a market for him. Nobody's interested in a running back going on to a third contract. Now, <clears throat> analytics will tell you that even a second contract 
isn't necessarily a good idea. You draft somebody on the first contract, right? They play on the rookie deal, and then you let them go. That's what analytics will tell you. And the reason they tell you that is because once that fourth year, if you have a second rounder or later, there's a lot of damage on that body. There's a lot of mileage that goes on, and you can get the same production out of a younger, cheaper guy and you're paying them on a rookie contract. So analytics will tell you, don't even give anybody a second contract. Hunt is out there looking for a third contract. So it should come as no surprise that nobody's going after Kareem Hunt. But the real question with the Kareem Hunt saga, and it's not really a saga, but the real question is what happens to Nick Chubb next year? Because Nick Chubb is on his second contract. And the Browns have a potential out on his contract after 2023. So this is going to upset the whole give Nick Chubb the ball, take the Denny's menu away from Kevin Stefanski. But do the Browns give Nick Chubb a third contract or do they take the out after next year? There's pros and cons for both of this. On the one hand, the Browns have been limiting Chubb's runs since he signed that second contract. He barely gets 20 runs a game. Okay, and I think there's some crazy statistic where if he gets 20 rushes a game, he automatically wins or something, some nonsense like this. I think there was one game where he got 20 rushes, but the Browns did not win. But the day and age of the running back being the guy who runs the team to victory, the Jim Brown-esque player that just goes out and dominate, that era is gone. It is over, and it is not coming back. <clears throat> the reason it's not coming back is because of analytics. Let's take a step for a second and look at baseball. Baseball has gone through an interesting cycle in analytics. And I think football will eventually get there, but it's not quite there yet. Baseball started with this analytics way back in the day of the Oakland A's and the on-base percentage, right? We've all either seen the money, seen the movie Moneyball or read the book Moneyball nerds like me. Yes, I actually read the book, <clears throat> saw how the Oakland Athletics used statistics and numbers to kind of game the system right? Football has the same process going on, except the first time that somebody started to game the system was with the spread offense. The idea behind the spread offense was to spread everyone out to create less, bigger holes to run through with less people in the box. Thus, the process of gaming the NFL, gaming football started. But analytics has taken this to another level. How do we gain yards while passing gives us more yards than running will give us? Give us, And then on and on and on to the point where you saw in football, now it's becoming a more offensively and pass-based system. This is parallel in my mind to the home run hitter in baseball, right? You have the guy that gets up to the plate and he does one of two things. He hits a home run or he strikes out. Right? Hits the home run or strikes out. That is the equivalent of what the NFL is going through right now with its passing offense. You pass or you lose. 
Now, interestingly, baseball is now trying to get away from the hit a home run or strikeout mentality. At first, it was all great, right? We've got Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and they're hitting home runs all the time, and everyone's hitting home runs. Everyone looks like they just stepped out of a comic book. But now baseball has said, what does the game look like post-analytics? Because the teams have gotten too good. You now have the shift. Well, you don't now, but you used to have the shift where people will just line up all over the field given the, the spray chart of the hits to the point where baseball became so analytically driven that you almost wondered what the product was anymore. Football hasn't gotten there yet. But for those who remember Jim Brown, not me, but those who remember Eric Dickerson, I barely remember Eric Dickerson, but for those who remember the big-time running back that would just run over everybody, the game has to look completely different to you now. Because it is a different game. We are now in the NFL, the equivalent of the shift. We've got people taking pitches all day. We're at the height of it. Now, at some point, the NFL is going to circle back around like baseball has this year, where baseball has said, enough of this. We've overanalyzed the game. We need to turn this back into what it used to look like. So now there's bigger bases. There's a pitch count. The game has been sped up. They're going back to what baseball is. Football right now is still in that day, still on the upswing of the Mark McGuire's and Sammy Sosa's, right? We still want that. The big shot, the scoring, the happening. We've yet to come to a point where we say, is all what is all this analytics doing to the game? So in essence, the NFL is about five, ten years behind baseball. So it'll be interesting to see if the NFL does come back around to what makes the NF, the football game a football game. And at that point, will running backs come into fashion? I don't know. We'll have to find out. But at this point, Kareem Hunt, who's been a serviceable running back, who's done a pretty good job at the age of 27, now finds himself unemployed and is asking himself, uh, you know, look, I mean, I'm 27. I should have plenty of years left. Nick Chubb, maybe he's the next one coming out. No contract. The game is changing, my friends. Sitting around complaining about it like a, like an old fan of Major League Baseball that says that baseball used to be one way. It's just, it's moving on. It's moving on without you, whether you like it or not. All right. Moving on. What do we have next? Next up, we're going to talk about the NFL Draft. As you know, the NFL Draft is coming up in about two weeks. The Cleveland Browns do not have a first-round pick, nor do they have a second-round pick as they traded that away for Elijah Moore. So now when it comes to the draft, the Browns have two third-round picks and pick after pick after pick. They have two picks in every round up to the sixth round, I believe. Somebody will know. Correct me. The question here is who are the Browns picking? Not as in, like, who the actual player is, although we'll talk about that until the cows come home. The question is, what is the role of the player they pick on the Browns football team? Are they going to make the team? Are they not going to make the team? Third round, you're talking Anthony Schwartz. um, Elliott, the defensive tackle, got drafted in this round. These are rotational players that may come in and play the game, and they may not play the game. They may make the team. 
They may not make the team. We don't know. Third round players should give you a serviceable player that hopefully is a starting level player, not a superstar, not a game changer, but at least somebody that you can run in and out of there on a regular basis. You get into the fourth round, that's a project. Fifth round's a project. Sixth round's a project. Seventh round, do these people even make the team? Okay? So, going into the NFL draft this year, the Browns are really looking to draft players that may or may not make the team and may or may not get on the field. So the pervading question, does anybody really care anymore? When we see all these mock drafts, are you reading those mock drafts? When we see people with seven-round mock drafts with Browns taking this player, this player, this player, do you really care who that player is? Are we really going to see that player? It makes me wonder, with all the inundation of what this is, the draft used to be the Super Bowl of events for Cleveland. Right? Remember the draft? You get all excited. We're going to get our jerseys on and we're going to draft the next franchise quarterback. We're going to draft the next guy that's going to come off the edge and sack quarterbacks. We're going to draft that playmaker. And then they would come in and everyone would expect him to come in and quote unquote turn this franchise around. The Browns aren't drafting that. The Browns have built a team. The team is pretty much independent and stands on its own. Doesn't need much in my way of supplementation. There's positions that were really position needs, wide receiver, defensive tackle, some would claim linebacker, although I'm not in that camp. You know, those positions have had bodies thrown at them. The Browns have more wide receivers than I can name. They have more defensive tackles than I can name. It's like they went into like, hey, do you have one leg and do you speak English? Let's sign you up. Do you speak English? See, I speak English. Bam, you're a Cleveland Brown. They have thrown every single body they can at those positions. And coming up to the draft, I'm not sure what they're adding to this team that would make me excited to watch the draft or pretty much anyone excited to watch the draft. So if you're listening out there, drop a comment on whether or not you're excited to watch the draft. Do you even care who the Browns are about to draft? All right. We got to take a few minutes here to pause. Pay the bills. All right, welcome back. Now we're on to segment three around the NFL. The Baltimore Ravens. I tell you what, that franchise is burning down. They are just doing some of the dumbest things I have ever seen. Makes you ask, what the elf is that? So, the Baltimore Ravens, right? We're just going to focus on the event this week. The Baltimore Ravens have signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year contract worth up to $18 million, but have guaranteed him $15 million. $15 million guaranteed. 13 and a half of that, roughly, is a signing bonus, which leaves $1.5 million for the salary, which makes you wonder, do they expect him to get suspended? Are they hiding his money for him so he doesn't have to pay a fine? I mean, if he gets suspended, that's only coming out of the $1 million. 
Now, Browns fans, if you know, you know what I'm talking about. But back to OBJ. OBJ is coming off his second ACL surgery. He didn't play all of last year. When he did play the previous year and won the Super Bowl with the Rams, he was, and we had all saw him up close in Cleveland, he was at best a wide receiver too. Odell Beckham Jr. was not outrunning people. He could not get open when on when double teamed. He needs to be a complement receiver to a number one who commands a double team. Odell Beckham Jr. is no longer that number one receiver. And as Browns fans, we saw that up close. And when he didn't get the ball, because quite frankly, he didn't get open, he started complaining about Baker Mayfield. His dad started complaining about Baker Mayfield. And all crap broke loose. And we're all asking, what the hell is that? What's he got going on here that everybody thinks, this guy is so great. But now, the Ravens have decided this guy is going to be worth $15 million guaranteed. So if you're sitting there and you're Lamar Jackson, what are you asking yourself? Here's OBJ. Hasn't made a Pro Bowl since 2016. Hasn't had a receiving yards. Haven't gone over 1,100 receiving yards since 2016. And the team's given him $15 million guaranteed. And Lamar Jackson, on the other hand, MFL MVP, although a few years ago, the team scores more points when he's on the field. The team is a better team when he's on the field. Now, I'm not making any judgments on Lamar Jackson's ability to throw, hit open receivers, throw to anybody except a tight end, throw anything except a long ball, hit receivers in places other than just sitting in an empty zone. Lamar Jackson has his issues as a quarterback. But he's still worth $15 million guaranteed. But the Ravens don't pay Lamar Jackson the money he wants. But they're going to throw all kinds of guaranteed money at a guy who hasn't played a year, hasn't played well in probably six years, and coming off his second ACL surgery. To me, this is the Ravens throwing the giant middle finger at Lamar Jackson. Now, I've heard it. I heard they're just trying to entice him to play football by giving him a weapon. No, they're not. The Ravens have brought in Todd Monken. The last decent year Odell Beckham Jr. had was when he was playing with Todd Monken in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield as his quarterback. The reason OBJ is in Baltimore is because they're the only ones that will pay him that much money. They're going to understand how to use him in a, in a air raid style offense. They're going to have him sit in zones or try to run past a corner. And I don't think OBJ is going to get out of the Walker and run past a corner any day at all next year. Although practice in Baltimore should be fun. It would be interesting to watch him and Marlon Humphreys fight all week, but since both of those players are, well, We'll get into Marlon Humphreys later, but 
it should be interesting to watch those two fight in practice. But if you think OBJ is going to add anything to this team, you're crazy. And if anything, if I was Lamar Jackson, I'd be quite upset. You're going to pay this guy all this money, but you can't give me what I want. And I'm in the prime of my career. I deserve that money, and I can elevate this team to the next level. And this guy's just going to come here and soak up money and sit on the roster and might make a catch. I mean, OBJ's catch rate for the last probably two or three years has been 50%. He catches one out of every two balls thrown to him. But you can't pay the guy who elevates your offense. The Ravens are crashing and burning, and it's actually a lot of fun to watch. Okay, moving on to the next segment. Owners with employee problems. Wah, wah, wah. Billionaire owners have employees that don't like them. Who would have thought? Now it comes out that Terry McDonough of the Arizona Cardinals, formerly of the Arizona Cardinals, is accusing owner Michael Bidwell of gross misconduct, cheating, discrimination, and harassment. McDonough claims that he and then-coach Steve Wilkes, by the way, that guy never got a real chance in Arizona, so if Wilkes is on board with this, there's got to be something probably to this, were coerced into using burner phones to talk to GM Steve Kime while Kime was serving a five-week suspension for a DUI. My first question is, is why didn't the Browns use burner phones so that Petten and Shanahan could talk to the GM? I can't even think of his name right now. Ray Farmer. Why didn't they use burner phones with Ray Farmer? If there's anybody that needed to have contact with this team, it was Petten and and it was Shanahan with Farmer. Actually, that's not true. The whole thing with Farmer was that Farmer was calling them on phones at halftime. So we now have the exact opposite problem. You have an employee who's been asked by a coerced by the owner to use burner phones to contact employees. And he's accusing him of cheating and being an all-around scumbag. Who would have thought a billionaire would cheat or be an all-around scumbag? Don't you know that people make billions of dollars by being nice, good, gentle, kind people who are genuinely interested in your best interests? Come on, man. So McDonough has decided, and I'm hoping this is a preliminary move to filing a lawsuit in court. But McDonough has made the preliminary move to appeal to the Goodell bot. The Roger Goodell bot is going to hear his process, hear his complaint. Now, if you don't know what I mean by Roger Goodell bot, I suggest you look up the uh, the South Park episode about the Washington Redskins. So the Goodell bot is clearly just a piece, a mouthpiece for the NFL ownership. He doesn't do anything. He makes money. He's like the, the little sideshow they run out there to like make everything look good. But in the end, he is nothing more than a voice for the owners. And I'm not quite sure what McDonough is thinking here. Somebody should remind McDonough of the time that Brian Flores appealed to the Goodell bot when he claimed that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered to pay him $100,000 to lose football games. 
Well, when that claim came out, everybody was horrified. The Dolphins are subverting the, the process of, of competition on the field. So the Goodell bot put forth an investigation. And the Goodell bot came up with a conclusion. The conclusion was, yes, the Dolphins did subvert the practice of fair competition. They were more interested. The owner expressly stated he was more interested in getting a good draft pick than winning football games. He did claim to his employees he was looking to get the number one pick by losing games. And that he did, in fact, say to Coach Flores, I'll give you $100,000 to lose games. The Goodell bot concluded all of this. And here's the quote from the investigation. Quote, one such comment is claimed <clears throat> is a claimed offer by Mr. Ross to pay Coach Flores $100,000 to lose games. As to which there are differing recollections. Shocker. About the wording, timing, and context. However phrased, such a comment was not intended to be taken as a serious offer. Unquote. So in case you missed that, the Goodell bot did the investigation, concluded, yes, Flores was right. He was offered $100,000 to lose football games. But on all honesty, it was just a joke. The owner was just joking. Stephen Ross got jokes, right? He's just joking with Flores. Flores just, just isn't figuring it out that it was a joke. It was, it was just a joke, right? The man, the owner, Ross, says, I want to lose games, makes it apparent to his employees, states openly that the, the Dolphins need to lose thing, get a draft pick, offers his coach money to lose. But the whole part about the coach being offered money was just a joke. And Flores needs to understand it was just a joke. And you and I need to understand it was just a joke. But that other stuff, that wasn't a joke, right? Contacting Tom Brady, contacting Sean Payton, that's serious stuff. We're going to take away draft picks, but offering to pay your coach, that was just jokes. That's okay. This is the investigation. This is the man that McDonough thinks is going to hear his appeal that Bidwell's a bad guy, that the Arizona owner is a bad, bad dude, and he wanted them to use cell phones, burner cell phones to communicate with a GM. So I'm not sure what McDonough thinks he's going to get out of this. I'm hoping, hoping that McDonough is just trying to go through this hurdle so we can file a lawsuit against the NFL as a whole. As a whole. Good luck, Terry McDonough. Hope this is the opening volley toward a lawsuit. Otherwise, what the hell are you thinking, man? Appealing to the Goodell bot. Come on, man. Come on. All right, guys, this is going to wrap up our first, the premiere, the numero uno podcast of the What the Elf Were You Thinking? Please like and subscribe because honestly, we'd like to make some side cash off this. And you sat there and listened to 27 minutes of me. So if you're still listening, you know I've got a serious personality disorder and I'd like to make some money off that. You can follow me, Joel Cade, on Facebook. Look for the Fidel Castro picture. And you can follow me on Twitter, at the Left Guard. Let me throw that up there for you. 
at the left guard. <clears throat> the What the Elf podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, which is a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Join me next week as I'll be asking once again, what the elf was that? Because somebody has to ask it. <laughs>